No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Welcome. Hi. 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 Um, Victoria pulled me in, and so she said that I'm introducing us. So here that goes. My name is Whitney Knox Lee. I am the host of Impostrix Podcast, which validates professionals of color and reframes imposter syndrome. And we are joined by a good friend, Victoria Curie, and she is the host of A Contagious Smile podcast. She's got like a whole empire of goodness um, that she works on day in and day out. And she came up with this idea and I had the pleasure of being the person she thought about to co-host this with her of starting a series around bringing, shedding light on systems that fail us. Yes. Um, and what we're going to be talking about today specifically is the medical system and health insurance, navigating health insurance and finding um finding the services that will accept insurance is, you know, one of the the big things that I know a lot of us have experienced, whether that be for ourselves and care that we need or care that loved ones need. It is a maze. It's a hassle. It's never easy. Many of us cry ourselves to sleep at night because of the anxiety that this causes. Um, and we're sick of it. Like, that's what it comes down to. We are sick of it. We think that these systems need to have some accountability. Um, and what we're finding, and I know a lot of you all know, is that this is all based on money and, and capitalism and how much money can these medical systems squeeze from us in order to in order for us to receive that care. So Victoria is going to tell us about an experience advocating for someone that she has had recently and is still going through, still supporting this person through. Um, and we're going to talk about like brainstorm some possible solutions, talk about like how can we bring awareness to this and really put these people to the fire so that they're doing their job and serving people that need help. So I'll kick it to you, Victoria. Thanks, Whitney. I appreciate you. I just adore her. I've had the pleasure of working with her before she even became in the top 10% globally. I'm so proud of her. She's just under my wing and now she's flying free and I'm so proud of her. Anyway, so I, and she mutes herself. Are you kidding me? No. All right. So this is the series one, episode one of, we haven't come up with a name for this yet, but we are holding people to the fire. I think, well, Capital One um, has this tagline, what's in your wallet, but I really believe that it should be what everybody says when you call a facility that supposedly offers medical care, because- I am advocating, as you know, as a special needs advocate and also as a parent, and Whitney's also a parent, that we need to do what's best for our children. And I am representing a family that has a child that has trauma-based PTSD based on a life of medical care in a hospital setting or a doctor setting and has since turned to profusely vomiting stomach acid whenever any kind of medical facility needs to do any kind of test or uh, an admission or anything of that nature. So this child needed to be uh, put into a program to help with the eating disorder, if you will, because she lost a considerable amount of weight. We're talking 25 pounds in just a matter of a few weeks. So the family has reached out and called every single facility within the state trying to find one that would take. And the very first thing they say is, we would love to help. What is your insurance? Then that's the very first thing that is said on a phone call. Well, when I end up getting in the middle of this, that is what is the very first thing is said. What is the insurance? And then they, oh, I would love to help, but we can't, we don't take it. So then a notification comes that there is a company called Veritas that does take the insurance and that they can help. So long story short, first phone calls made, advised of insurance, stated no problem, and the intake admission begins of what they can do and take um, answer-wise to expedite this process. 
for this family. Well, the family went ahead and put in all of the application information, even had medical records ready to go and be submitted and even emailed them in, as well as copies of the insurance cards. And they strung out this family for just shy, just shy of two weeks, telling them every day, okay, well, now you have to do the medical assessment. Now you got to do this. Well, the doctor was on board. The doctor said that this person was cleared and they kept going. They even submitted the intake packet. They submitted um, their schedule of what was going on. Everything was given to this family so that they knew that it was good to go. They were told there was no waiting list and that they should be able, once they get through the formality of all this, they should be able to go and, and have the treatment begin as early as the next day. So this becomes a strung out pattern where they're just literally being strung along continuously. And then, oh, by the way, we're having insurance issues. Can you call and verify? Well, if you call and verify anything, you got an hour and 50 minute hold to talk to a customer representative. Then you have these people, if you will, who are calling them constantly. If you click on the line, it's going to hang up the people holding. If you're on a wait hold on the next line and you click over to answer the phone, then you get hung up on and you have to start the process all over again. And that's horrific. Well, I end up in the middle discussing this and they state that the insurance shows that it's not eligible. Well, it does show it's eligible. And I even informed them that the member ID is saying that they have current active coverage. Well, they're saying it doesn't. And I told Whitney earlier that I use the analogy. It's like saying my Discover card has the same number as my American Express card because the member ID number worked. And you call through them and they said, yes, there's coverage. And they denied it. So as soon as they came back, um, which happened yesterday, Thursday, they came back and said, oh, well, we aren't going to take the insurance. We don't take it, even though there's only three types of insurance we don't take. And one of them wasn't, one of the three was not any that this family had. And all of a sudden now they're not taking it. And the disposition and demeanor of these individuals changed dramatically. And I, I told them it really should be what's in your wallet, because if they don't have care, then they don't care. Is basically what it is. And I advise them. It doesn't come out of your paycheck. These are kids that desperately need help. You're not taking them and putting them in line to get their nails painted or to go get their face painted at, at a carnival or a fall festival. These are kids that desperately need help. And that is what this medical system is, is built for. And if it was one of their kids, I advise them very strongly that I guarantee that they wouldn't be taking the stance that they're taking. And of course, they become very rude. I caught them in numerous lies. I told them after doing my research that, you know, if you go online and look at reviews, there's like 15 different websites and all the reviews say they only care about the money, which I clearly have I've seen this from them now. And when you go through this and, and that's what they care about, what about the kids? And I said to them, what if you have a kid who is going through a horrific situation, mom and dad are getting a divorce and dad cuts off the insurance? What are you going to do? Or what if you have a kid who has no insurance and comes to the door and it's life or death at that point? Are you going to turn him away? Doesn't that hold? I mean, if, if you put on there and Whitney's the lawyer here. So if you have somebody you've been stringing along for 10 days, doesn't that kind of hold you accountable if something happens to that child? That, you know, they're telling you, okay, we're going to get you in. It shouldn't be a problem. And every time the family is like, you know, are you sure the insurance is not going to be a problem? Are you sure that we're good? Are you sure that we're good? And that, no, here we go. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to put you through the process. And they do the entire thing. Doesn't that hold them accountable if something happens to that child? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that is just crazy to me is the amount of work that this family put in to starting to receive the care um, just for the rug to be pulled out from underneath them. I think in the legal aspect, in the legal world, yes, there would be an intake. Yes, there may be a free consultation, but none of the work is being done without having first verified or received a retainer or received some kind of representation agreement or somehow formalized that we're going to be working together. And so the thought that this family could go through daily assessments mm -hmm. and, um, you know, submitting all of the medical information, submitting the insurance, submitting all of personal confidential information without having a um, established medical relationship um, 
because, you know, this family was working off of the the pretenses that this care was going to be covered by by the insurance. I mean, that is really beyond me. And, you know, I looked up this the website of the Veritas and it's so ironic. Um, one of their like headers says most eating disorder treatment programs start with the question, how can we fit you into the care we offer? At Veritas Collaborative, we ask, how can we give you the care you need? Really? That's what y'all ask people? Because this 2.5 star rating and the the reviews and the feedback from people like Victoria, who is working with this family, show that mm, the real question is, how can we get the money for helping you? And when you're talking about something as dire and severe as um, this eating disorder, which sounds like really just started, um, and in such a short amount of time, losing 25 pounds, I mean, it's, this is dangerous. Right. Um, It's dangerous and it should be treated with urgency. There should not have been you know, false promises. Right. Because uh, it's fine. It's fine. If they want to say, we're not sure if we take your insurance, we are going to go through our insurance verification process. That process may take us two weeks and we will get back to you. Yeah. Okay. It's frustrating for us on the other side of things. We're sure. like, uh, I have to keep waiting. But what does not happen then is you as the advocate and the family are not going through this process of, being hopeful, being stressed and anxious to get all of the information in within a timely fashion. Um, you're not making plans based on this mm-hmm. treatment that this child needs to receive. Instead, you're just you're waiting and you're frustrated, but sometimes that's life and it sucks. Yes. But what's happened here is just um beyond, you know, it's beyond it should not have gone this far. Right. It should never have gone this far. And the fact of the matter is this family has um, been committing to working with Veritas and Veritas has been committing to working with them. And now all of a sudden they're not. And they're saying, oops, our bad. And right. like, no, this is a much, this isn't an oops, our bad situation. Right. Um, and so Victoria, like, did the family go through a process of trying to get scholarship or trying to figure out other ways to pay? Because the one thing that comes to mind to me is that oftentimes we would, as attorneys, um, advise people to use the, um, I forget what they call it, the compassion, I don't know if it's a compassionate care, but many public hospitals, and I know Veritas is not a public hospital, but many public hospitals have um, indigent care fund. Mm-hmm. So that if there is a family who needs care, um, that does not have insurance, they can, um, access that. And I know the situation is different because this person does have insurance and it's a private place, but share with us your experience with the, with the scholarship situation. Well, they didn't, they never mentioned it. And then when they were like, oh, this was mentioned Tuesday of this week. Oh, well, you know, there's a thing called Project uh, Project Heal that you could go on and start the scholarship. My answer to them is, well, why wasn't this presented previously so that that process could begin? And if you go to Project Heal, they only go over their applications once a month and then they make that decision to go forward. And if you continue and I, and I had said to them, why wouldn't you say, hey, we're not real sure right now. We're going to continue the intake process while we're waiting on insurance verification. But just in case, let's have a, you know, a safety net. Let's go ahead and start this process just in case, you know, just so we can make sure we get the care we need to be given. And it wasn't done. Well, when you go to Project Heal, they're not taking applications anymore this year. And that's not okay. And I even said to these people, there are children's hospitals that take you if you don't have health insurance and they treat you. So are you saying that you would literally shut the door on a child's face that desperately needs help? And they said, well, we can't provide free service for every child. And I said, I'm not asking about every child at this moment. I'm asking about their child. I'm asking about this specific child who desperately needs help. And you've dragged along the way. Isn't there a liability at some point if something happens that they've had this from this long and continued the process? I mean, even in the intake medical portion of the assessment, 
it was asked if they could do part of it with the parent and part of it with the child because of the fact that this is a medical-based PTSD situation. And there was retching involved when questions were asked. And they made the child state for it. They also went so far as to advise the family of when visitation would be, um, how often you can come, that you could get a pass and take them out, and when you have to bring them back. I mean, going through the whole rhetoric of the ins and outs of how all of it is done, why would you do that? And I know somebody's going to say, well, they were being really thorough and very professional and helping, even though they didn't have the information. Never once was it said, hey, we're waiting on you know, there's a possibility it won't go through when the family has asked continuously all the time, hey, do we have a problem here? Hey, I need to make sure that before we go any further, that this is what is being done because everybody else that had been called said, we don't take this insurance. And you guys were running with it like you were on the Super Bowl halftime show. And, you know, you go back and look at some of these reviews, um, Yelp and Glassdoor. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. There are so many different, even uh, just Google. Yeah, Google, um, uh, Microsoft, Bing, all of them have, you know, the average is like a 2.5. And when asked about it, their response was, well, we take our online reviews very seriously and we contact every one of them and, and we try to make them right. And I said, well, one website alone had, I think off the top of my head, 181 or 182 reviews. And they were like at a 2.3. And I said, you know, and it's, all about they only care about money. The administration is horrible. Um, somebody else was a patient who had diabetes and they have a medical team. That's the difference. If you're inpatient, then you see the medical team every single day. If you're a resident, you don't see the medical team every day. You only go, you go less frequently. And this person was diabetic and they wouldn't give them insulin. And there's other claims out there from people. There was, there was one out there that this poor girl was abused and it took her two years of therapy after getting out of there to even you know start trusting medical professionals again and the thing is that these people you know literally need to be held accountable because their disposition is one thing and then as soon as you hold them to the fire and you show them that they were lying i mean i've caught them telling false information and i i brought it to fruition and when i did oh the the snappy rudeness was just ridiculous just ridiculous and i said okay guess what i'm going on air do you want me to send you the link so you can hear it and you should have just heard the tone it was just horrific that people care more about themselves this has become such a selfish society when it comes to our kids and it's not okay and people need to be held accountable you know so many companies wait to the end of the year for donations from other organizations and other organizations have to donate such as like 10% of you know what they've made in order to do a tax you know write off and these companies strive and thrive for it they wait all year to get it and then they turn around and this is how they treat people i guarantee you that they are not treating their own that way they're not treating their kids that way well, what if it was one of their kids? What if one of these people, I'll say, was that we dealt with, and we were talking about, Whitney, we're not talking about five or 10 minutes a day. We're talking about hour and a half, at least every single day, sometimes once or twice a day on conversations with these people. And what if one of them all of a sudden didn't have insurance or like I said before, ended up going through a divorce and they didn't have insurance because the dad cut it off or the mom cut it off, whatever the case may be and they need medical help, what are they going to do? Are they just going to say, eh, sorry? I mean, aren't they held accountable if something happens? Their answer to this family was, we'll take them back to the hospital. You can't do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think at this stage that there is any sort of liability. I mean, there may be. Um, they wouldn't be held accountable if something happened to the child? I think there would be an argument. I think there would be an argument that yes, um, you know, this child desperately needed the care. Um, you had started the process of giving the care, but then stopped. And at the point that you stopped, you know, the child continued to um, worsen. I think on their side, they're, they're covering their ass by saying, take the child to the ER, take the, you know, go get the child other types of medical care. Um, and the law is going to look at different intervening events is what it's called, different points at which a different outcome could have occurred 
to prevent, you know, something, the situation worsening. I think in the case of like where somebody is receiving services and like you had mentioned, one of the reviews talking about um, somebody being abused, you had mentioned uh, somebody not receiving their insulin. In those cases, there's definitely, you know, opportunity for medical malpractice claims and opportunity for um, torts or personal injury claims. Um, or if somebody's being abused for criminal charges to be brought. Um, if if that is something that has, um, you know, in all cases, there needs to be sufficient evidence and, and proof and all of that. And so I think that's why these conversations are so important is because as it stands, I'm not sure that there is accountability. There's, I mean, legal accountability, at least, um, for these types of situations. And so many of us experience this day in and day out. Like what you're sharing about and the experience that this family is having is not unique to this family. Um, And, you know, the sad part is this is a family that has insurance. So many of us don't have insurance, don't have money in the bank, don't have minutes on our phone to be sitting for hours out of the day to be able to, you know, talk to people, don't have command over the English language, don't understand, maybe we speak English, but we don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, because the language that we use to have to navigate insurance and medical care is so high level that like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you know, so many people don't have access to be able to print out their records, to be able to fax records, to be able to, I mean, as a practicing attorney, a lot of what I would do um, is do the printing for our clients because maybe they don't have access to a printer. They have to go to the library and print at the tune of $1 per page. And I you know, there's a lot of pages. Right, exactly. And so For me, too, one of the things that's so abundantly clear in this case is that this sounds like a family that has a fair amount of privilege in terms of access to um, some of the accesses to insurance, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having some of the resources. And even they are being blocked from getting the, the care that this child desperately needs and in the way that's best for the child. Because as you said in the outset, Going back to the hospital is going to cause further trauma and damage to this child. Right. If every time she is seeing a medical professional within a hospital setting, she is throwing up. That's not helpful. That's not treating right. the the um, eating disorder or the trauma. Correct. And so when we're thinking about like, how we provide services and what our best practice is going to be and what, you know, in the family law, we talk a lot about best interests of the child. If we were to use that standard of care in this situation and talk about the best interests of the child, um, it's certainly not going back to the hospital where that child is going to be triggered and going to be um, harming themselves. Right. One of the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and one of the other, you know, major questions that I have is about the insurance. At what point do insurance representatives step in and start advocating for people that are paying for the insurance coverage? Right. And whether it's a private insurance or whether it's Medicaid, like we are your consumer, your role as the insurance agency is to advocate for us to be able to receive medical care under our insurance plan. And so at what point does there need to be somebody else on the line from this insurance company, you know, making all these phone calls, um, arguing themselves with Veritas or whoever else it is? And do these insurance companies have buckets of money that they can pull from when such is the case with this family, there are no other options. Like there are no options right. in, in the region for this, this child to be able to receive care under this insurance plan. 
Well, they said um, that they could go out, you know, across country, but who can afford that? So you got to go out there to do intake and then you do visit. You have to go and pay airline fees and all that stuff to go out there. But if family has other kids or other obligations, how, how do you do that? You can't do that. And then one of the things that was suggested is, well, you could try a behavioral facility. Well, I don't know about you, but as someone who's advocated for, you know, almost 18 years, when you have a child that has any kind of situation regardless of what it is, let's, let's go to the fact that it's, it's an eating disorder and you put them in a situation of a behavioral controlled environment where they're going to be restrained. They're going to, first of all, they're going to aspirate if they're laying down and they're restrained and they're choking on their own vomit, that becomes a huge issue on its own. Number one, number two is you're putting them in a situation where this isn't a behavioral thing. This is a trauma-based, you know, serious PTSD over, a life of medical need as a child. And they're saying, well, go into behavioral things. They don't need to be locked in a room. They don't need to be, you know, restrained to a bed. And if, how are they going to take care of themselves if that's what happens? And you're going to put them in there with other kids who are violent, who have other situations. They need their own care. And they, and you know what, and I'm not saying it just for this family, but for the families that are in a behavioral um, situation, institution, if you will, because it takes away their care. Because you're going to be more concerned about which kid, the one that's throwing up profusely or the one that, you know, has behavioral issues. But you're taking away, that is a facility that specifically works with kids that have behavioral problems. If a child has an eating disorder, that's not a behavioral problem to the point they need to be, you know, restrained. And it's yeah, I mean, I locked have- up, essentially. Like, right. that's what some of these facilities are. These are facilities for people who are not safe to be around other people and so they have to be isolated right that's and like that saying no i'm gonna kid- go to a you know a podiatrist if i have cancer you know i'm gonna put you in, in a behavioral you know controlled environment with a behavioral contract and yada 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 because you have an eating disorder that's like saying okay i'm going to a podiatrist because i have cancer you know i'm gonna i'm not going to a cancer facility i'm gonna go to a foot specialist you know, that's why they're specialties. That's why they're facilities for these individual specialties. And you're going to say that, oh, we're not going to bring you in and give you the help you need. I mean, what this is America. This is supposed to be like the strongest country in the world. And that's a whole different show because that we are not. But to, to do that, this is these are our kids. And these people who are they're not there. It's a calling like to be, you know, I have my doctorate and I never go around calling myself a doctor because I want kids to see me as a person, not a, not a title. And for them to turn around and just be like, Hey, it's Victoria. Okay. You don't, they're scared enough. They've been through enough medical. They don't need to go. That's Dr. Victoria. No, 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 no. It's the fact that this country is supposed to be there to help others. I don't care if you're in the LGBTQ community. I don't care if you're um, Latino, you're African-American, you're Caucasian, you're Indian. I don't care. These are our kids. And some people who just go to get a paycheck, which I feel like is who I've been speaking with lately, they need to go into a different group. They need to go into a different profession because it's not a calling. A calling is something that you know in your heart is what you're here to do and you're here to help others. When you're like, oh, sorry, I'm, you know, eh, hang up. That's it. No, you know, let someone do that to you about your kid. I guarantee you, you're not going to act that way. Hey, how about we take away your your sex in the city Botox party? I guarantee then they'll <laughs> act different. I guarantee I'm telling you then they're going to act different. Yeah. You know? I told them, I said, so when you're on your two day weekend and you're doing the spa or the golfing or whatever it is that you do, good for you. These families are like praying over their child. These families are every time they put something in their mouth, they're praying not to aspirate. They're watching every time their child profusely vomits. They're hoping that when they're sleeping, that they're not going to sleep and throw up and choke on it in their sleep there. I mean, every family is a different situation in the special needs community, but they don't get a Saturday and Sunday off. They don't get a, Oh, it's five o'clock somewhere. So they're going to be done at five o'clock. It is a 24 hour, seven day a week situation that And you know what? We get more benefits as a special needs parent. And I'm not talking about from the government. We see things that a lot of families don't get. I can't tell you, Whitney, how many times I hear families that are like, my nanny's not here today. I don't know how I'm going to get Susie Q to soccer and and this one to football and this one to that one. And I'm like, I used to have 25 doctor's appointments a week. I wouldn't know what it's like to get to soccer. 
You know, are you serious? And then in between the appointments, you're implementing in the therapies that you just, you learned. You're going to doctors constantly waiting to see what's next. And you are standing there bitching with your mimosa over the fact that your nanny has a day off. I mean, really entitlement. You know, there's no jealousy here. I wouldn't trade my child for anything. I know most people that are good parents don't want to trade their child for anything, but they don't want to see their kids suffer either. Yeah. And I think it's all about perspective. And I love podcasts. I love talking to Victoria because it really gives us an opportunity to share with each other and to share with the world who's ever listening about our perspective. Like nobody's bad for being stressed about not being able to take their kid to their appointment. But, and there are people, uh, myself included and Victoria included, who are on a, you know, daily or regular basis trying to figure out how to best care for a special needs child, how to best care for the family, the rest of the family, Mm -hmm. um, who also need attention and love and care and to go to their regular just pediatrician appointments. Right. Like I remember when we were going through this with my son, I was not getting health care for myself uh, because I was too tired. I was too exhausted and worn down. Um, I was not not, take care of yourself. I know this is going to get thrown back at me in just a second. Yes. She, we all, you don't take care of yourself and you know, you're the last one to, to care. You don't take care of yourself because you have everybody else to take care of and you forget about you. Yeah. I mean, I remember the year that we were applying for Katie Beckett Medicaid for my son. I completely forgot to enroll in, um, to get vision and dental insurance for like the rest of the family that wasn't going to be on Medicaid. So we had a whole period of time where we just didn't have that insurance because I forgot during open enrollment period and like first world problem. Yes, definitely. Because we still had insurance, but like it's stuff like, like this, that, you know, it's, it can't be overstated Mm -hmm. how important um, medical care and access to care and access to insurance, access to transportation, all of these things are um, for all of us and particularly for families that have people with disabilities or people with special needs um, in their households. And so one other question that I have for you, Victoria, is around like the insurance side of things. Um, as an advocate, had you had an experience or an occasion to speak with the insurance directly and um, receive any assistance from them in terms of finding um, care for this child? I called and every time I called, I would get, oh, there's an hour and 40 minute wait. There's an hour and 50 minute wait to speak to someone. And then I went through the automated process and put in the information and says, oh, uh, there's coverage. When you put in the member ID, they're eligible for coverage as of today. And okay, so what is the problem? And it's, oh, well, that member ID might work, but for some reason, it's not this group. It's it's straight Medicaid. And and again, back to the credit card analogy is, okay, well, if that's the case, how come the member ID number is authentic? Like there, when I called and put everything in, it was an authentic, it was an authentic number. They said, okay, there's coverage for this family. As of today, they're they're up and going. That's fine. And then there's like, well, we don't know why, but it's not adequate. And we're getting, you know, different reports. And well, here's a reference number. Here's the number I called. I even give them every prompt mm-hmm. used. And it's like, how do you expect this family to take care of the family while doing your job? Isn't this your job to, to verify benefits? Because you should have done this from inception, not two weeks into it where this family stopped looking for other options because well one there isn't any but two because they were guaranteed we don't see this being a problem let's continue to move forward yeah wow so the insurance the information directly from the insurance company is that there's coverage for this service from this particular place and then the particular place veritas is saying no we don't accept that insurance we don't accept that form of medicaid is Mm. what they said Mm-mm-mm. That's so that's crushing. I can't imagine what that what that family, you know, is experiencing because it's uh, a scary time, I'm sure, um, because meanwhile, this child is still 
suffer. I mean, you know, this child is still experiencing an eating disorder, like still losing weight. Yes. Still suffering from trauma and PTSD. And the family's being taken away from one-on-one really with the child because they don't want the child to hear all Mm. of this going on in the medical thing. So they literally are like, hey, here's a book or go sit and watch a movie or you know, whatever, so that you don't hear, which I understand and completely respect because they're trying to prevent the child Mm -hmm. from going through something traumatic, but it's taking hours every single day. And then you need to be taking care of your kid. That's Mm -hmm. why you have an insurance verification team at Mm -hmm. these facilities. You know, I mean, do you want us to wipe your ass for you too? Because that's what it Mm kind of feels like, you know, we got to do everything else and verify everything. And you know, the family even had records prior to them even asking. They never signed a medical release record document, but they went ahead and sent them and said, here, mm. every single possible thing that you could need in order to expeditiously get this going. Oh, this is great. This is going to save us days. We'll be able to to start this even sooner. We are not on a wait. We should be able to, you know, right away. Here's the intake packets. Here's this. Here's that. And they're sending everything. And then they're going through and reading these books of, you know, gibberish of what's going on and you know and yada 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 and then they're telling them about oh when you come in you get to come visit one day a week and and this and that and and going through the schedule why are you doing all this and bringing all this false hope if you don't know but you keep reassuring that it's going to be fine yeah um is there an appeal process do you know uh no they they basically said you know, do a scholarship. Good luck. And let us know, you know, what can be done after that to find someone who can pay for this. If not, nothing we can do. But if you could find someone, you know, who can pay for this, we'll, we'll bring her, bring this child right on in. And if you can find a benefactor, right. If you literally think that way, do you really, I mean, do you really, this is how the administration team works. How does the rest of the facility work? You know, how, how are they going to be? That's yeah. a pending question. And so this particular place appears to be like a for-profit um, mm-hmm. medical group, if you will, um, center treatment program. Um, in some situations for, for families who are listening to this and have gone through similar situations, but maybe you're dealing with a public hospital or um, a publicly funded medical center, sometimes there are appeal processes that you can go through both within the facility, but also within the insurance provider. So if it's the insurance um, company saying they're not going to cover a specific type of treatment, there is an appeal process that people can go through with that um, to try and challenge the fact that the insurance is saying that they're not going to cover it. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, if you're at a hospital or, or you know, somewhere else that is a public company, they are also oftentimes uh, appeal procedures that you may be able to to utilize to get the care that you need. Um, at for-profit places, there's not always appeal procedures um, because they get to decide, you know, right. what what services they provide, what services they don't provide, and what you know, what they're going to charge and, you know, whether they're going to charge or whether they're going to um, uh, treat somebody under one of these kind of indigent care um, funds or or scholarships. Um, so, yeah, but it doesn't sound like that's an option here, unfortunately. No, they even went through the process of telling the individual patient who, that this is a stepping stone to helping them um, prepare for the real world to to see how they can do things on their own to show them how they can control uh, the disorder how they can oh my god they did they went into the specifics of you know because it's not a hospital setting they they specifically stated it's not a hospital setting it's more of um, like they I, I want to say they utilize the term of being like an apartment setting or like a college mm. dormitory setting where they you know they might have a roommate but they have groups and these groups have, you know, the kids in it that are going through the same thing they are. So they can find kids to make friends with that understand where they are and what they're going through and that they help teach them how to manage this in everyday life. And that gives such hope to these kids. And these kids are thinking, wow, I can control and go forward and and have, you know, tools in my toolbox that can help me 
in my life with this. And then they turn around and they're like, oh, sorry, check getting clear kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I had misunderstood at first. I thought you were talking about that the company said this period right now that the child is going through is a period where they can practice controlling. And I was like, uh, that is so if you saw my face, I was like, mm, that is not no. Um, but okay. <laughs> you're giving false hope to these kids yeah. saying, you know, they specifically express to this child you know, who is basically soon to be within a few, you know, years, an adult that this is going to prepare you when you are on your own. This is going to help teach you how you can make food, how you can, you know, not that they don't know how to make food already, how to eat what you need to in order to keep it down or some tools that can be utilized when you feel the urge or you have to go to the doctor or whatever is triggering how we can make that better for you. And they they specifically looked at this child and gave these promises on a video as if I'm looking at you, making these statements to this child saying, you know, this is what we're here for. You're going to get the help you need. As long as you can afford it. Right. As long as I'm like Donald Trump mm -hmm. and, and have a big bank account. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm so sorry for this family. Yeah, it's horrible. And and I don't understand. I think um, it, depending, it's anywhere from 1100 uh, is one time I read, I read 1600 and another facility said it was 1800 a day. And I'm like, are y'all catering in a four star? I mean, are Whoa. you, yeah. Are you catering in four stars? Like, what are y'all doing? What kind of chefs are y'all bringing in? And wow. if you read the reviews, they said that they serve junk food. Like it's not advantageous to their health. It's just, crap food but then their schedule is like they start so early in the morning and then they have I think it's three meals and two snacks and then they go over their eating skills or whatever it is and then they have their personal hygiene time or whatever and you know what's incredibly ironic with me in this entire process um, is the fact that they have a couple of hours of school okay it's on their their menu if you will on their daily routine that they submitted now, here's my question. Never once was this family asked what grade this person was in, what their level of intelligibility was, where or if an IEP was in place, or if any kind of accommodations needed to be made on a academic level. None of these were asked, but it's stated very clearly that they get a few hours a day of schooling, and then they have time at night for homework. But they were basically like, okay, this family is going to be able to come in as soon as we're done with the medical process. They did the medical process, but not once were they ever asked anything about academics. And these people, when they brought in, they, my understanding is, is that as an inpatient, it can be anywhere from a week to two weeks, give or take. Then they move to residential where they're not seen by medical, which is basically the same thing. Inpatient is seen by medical every day. Residential is not. And sometimes the residential is there for like, you know, anywhere from, depending each case is different, from 30 to 90 days. So with that being said, nobody asks his family any specifics of anything academically. That feels like a red flag. Yeah. Right. You're going to ask everything up to like, the color of shoes they wear and, you know, their shoelace size and whatever, but you're not going to mention anything about academics. You're not going to ask, you know, any of the provisions that need to be made or any, you know, thing at all about the activists. Is there an IEP? That's a huge thing. Is there an IEP here? You know, is that implemented in what specific care does this child need? What specialties are needed? You know, what if they're yeah. in physical therapy? That's not asked. None of this. And I'm wondering now, and this is just me throwing it out there. This is not, I don't know this to be the case, but for this child in particular, I'm wondering if basically her case was going to be too complicated and yeah. that they needed to add on like maybe other services or somehow change the uh, maybe coding of the services that they're going to be providing. Um, and that maybe insurance, like they don't accept the insurance for that. I can tell you now, no, because they mm. were cleared. The family was cleared by one of their long-term treating medical physicians. And uh, not only did the physician speak to intake, 
but spoke to um, another individual in another department and spoke with the director themselves. Oh, Lord. Okay. No, that's not it. (laughs) Yeah. And the doctor stated very clearly this this kid might look complex on paper, but she's good to go. Like Mm. she's good to go to the facility. She needs help. Get her in. Let's go. Hmm. Wow. So what's next for this family? What are the next steps? We're trying to figure that out because there's no other facilities around. What do you do? You know, I mean, what do you do? And I understand that like today is Friday and everybody's like, oh, well, I'm leaving early. And then, you know, this family is still tending to the care of of the child. Right. And the holidays are coming up. So next week and the week after are going to be just weird in terms of like staffing of these facilities and people's vacation and all that. Their answer is take her to the emergency room. Well, we all know what happens if you take this family to the emergency room. And not only that, the emergency room, it just isn't equipped for, for this type of thing is, is my understanding of what happens at emergency rooms. Well, if they're dehydrated, that's one thing, but the family advised that when they were there for that Friday, um, that there was a little girl sitting there and her face was, you know, cut open and the mom had stated she'd been waiting six hours and she still wasn't even in the back of her room yet. And this is an emergency room. The kid's face is open. What are you, what are you talking about? You know, that's ludicrous. Everything is changed so much and none of it is for the good. Nothing is changing for good. Everything is just going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, well, and I'll say that my experience taking these my children to the emergency room um, this past year has been that emergency rooms are really like primary care for people without insurance. And so what that means is that when there is an urgent situation um, requiring an emergency room, there's all these people there who, you know, need medical care, but maybe not emergency medical care. Well, they have a coding system where you're supposed to say, for instance, you know, obviously we all know what a code blue is, God forbid. Mm -hmm. But like if your child is a medically complex child and they have seizures or they're say their feeding tube came out or they have, um, you know, their their trach is plugged or something of that nature, then they're called they're considered what's called a red where they go ahead of everyone that's not right out of life threatening situation. Like if somebody came in, God forbid that was shot, they're going to go first. But anybody that's there for the sniffles or a splinter or a broken arm or whatever, they're going to get pushed behind the line and that family's going ahead. And so that's what's supposed to happen. And, you know, now it's not, I mean, to go into a, a, a facility where this family did and they waited for hours before anybody even came in. And then they said, okay, well, we're going to give you one bag of saline and they left, you know, syringes and needles and stuff on the counter. And we're going to, you know, give you one bag and put you on your way. And, oh, but you have to drink in order to be cleared to go home. They don't even watch them drink. It's okay. Well, they're drinking. All right, let's go. It, it's it, it's not how the medical system at all used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. And it, I mean, it really feels and seems dire. And I know or I wonder, I guess I don't know this, but I wonder to what extent COVID um, changed our medical system in that I know that there are shortages in um, providers and, you know, nurses in particular, I've heard a lot about having to work, you know, double shifts and, um, you know, there's just not bodies in the facilities to treat people. Um, But we've got to, there's got to be, other solutions um and either way that doesn't explain veritas <laughs> i mean well, like, let me ask you as, you know and as a, we're both parents but for instance i you know if, if you are working in a firm and a co-worker has a situation you you're going to help them i mean mm-hmm. you know that's a situation especially if you have a friend you're going to you know help any way you can if these families like if it's a doctor or a nurse and they have a kid and they say, my kid's really sick can i bring them in you know they don't go through the registration process all the time they're not mm-hmm. going to you know put in there that their kid's getting a cat scan or if somebody you know doesn't feel well at work and they work in the hospital setting and they're just going to go and get an ultrasound they want to see their baby they're pregnant or whatever they're not going to go through it and bill insurance so they're not getting you know the hospital's not getting that benefit because it's about them 
So again, going back for this family, what about the fact if it was a family member of somebody who worked there, it's a totally different situation. It's all about favoritism, bottom line. It is. It is. And I think, you know, that's the case everywhere all the time. It's about who you know, um, you know, when we are, what what I talk about a lot in my podcast is in the work environment. Um, and we, it's all about who you know. It's all about who you know in terms of how you are um, elevating within your career, um, whether you're successful, whether you get this job over somebody else. Um, and so, you know, it's sad. Somebody messaged me recently saying like, at the end of the day, we only care about ourselves. Um, and, and not our kids, not even our own kids, not you and I, but I'm talking about generality, not even our kids. Look at what's going on in the world with the crime. These kids, they're, they're screaming, help me. Yeah. And so it's, um, yeah, I mean, this is just, it's just a really, this is a, a huge failure on, on Veritas. Um, because I, I cannot believe that the money's not there for them to be able to provide the service. Like, I cannot believe that they wouldn't be working with the family to find another solution then. They never or, Like, I just... Um, they could write off. Don't yeah. tell me they don't need tax write-offs. Right. Right. And I get, like, look, I get what they're saying, that they can't provide free care to everybody because then they would be a shelter, frankly. Right. But um, then don't but, go forward and say, exactly. hey, we're going to drag you along on the string for weeks. You know, this should be what they do to compensate for what they did. That's what exactly. I'm saying. You know, if you go on every phone call we made right off the bat up at Veritas is, hey, how are you doing? How can we help you? Hey, I have this situation. Great. Let me see if we can help. Who's your insurance? That was the first 30 seconds of every single phone call this family and myself experienced. Yeah. Now with them, it's totally separate. Well, I explained to Veritas that we're not asking them to do this for every child. Correct your malfunctions and fix it so this doesn't happen to other families going forward. But don't let this family get a child that the doctor says is literally in a life or death situation if this continues and say, sorry, not sorry, and, and just forget about it. That's not advantageous for anybody. I mean, and the one who really gets it in the end is this kid. Yeah. And I think so in the legal field, this type of situation, um, if, if contracts were involved would be considered like a reliance, um, situation, which happens when two parties are planning to enter into a contract. And so, um, maybe somebody or, or they have a contract and one of the parties doesn't actually follow through with their side of the contract or the anticipation. The family contract. filled out a lot of forms and signed a lot of things. Yeah, but the other, the if the other side hasn't done anything, then there's no, you know, there's no contract. Um, but I mean, that I think it's arguable. Like I do think, I think it's arguable. Um, but at any rate, so what happens in those cases is if, if the one of the parties is now making actions based on the reliance of the contract, um, then that can be grounds to sue for recovery of basically like any loss, any damages. So for example, if I owned a company and I would contract it with another company to get, I don't know, 600 cattle, um, but then something happens to the cattle or something happened to that company and now I'm not getting 600 cattle and I have to go get 600 cattle from some other company and I have to pay more, then I could sue the first company for like the over the extra money that I'm having to pay, um, that type of thing. And so there has to be damages um, and the damages have to be quantifiable in terms of like, we have to be able to put a number to it. Um, and then, you know, there's a legal, there's court, which nobody loves. Right. Um so I, you know, I just don't know. I think that this is a great idea in terms of calling out, like making people aware of what's happening, um, particularly at a time where companies like Veritas um, are looking for, you know, donor. They're looking for money. Like their reputation matters. Um, and 
some people, like I'm looking at the website, they do take a lot of insurances. So many people who have Kaiser, Humana, Anthem, Aetna, Cigna, you can choose to go somewhere else, you know, and, and receive your services somewhere else if you don't like what you're hearing about Veritas and how Veritas has handled um, this situation. Because um, certainly it would make me think, I mean, like I, if I needed to use their services, I'd be like, absolutely not. Nope. Because of the situation of what you're reading. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so sad just to think that it comes down to that. And that's basically what it does come down to. I mean, if you go to, um, I'm pulling it up on Yelp, it is, it is, uh, it's horrible. Just the entire platform of, you know, I, I love Yelp for so many reasons, but I mean, it's got two stars and it talks about um, the reviews are, I mean, it's just, it's horrible. And, you know, people want to give their best to their kids. And I, and I am one of those people, that's for sure, as are you, but you read this stuff and you look at these and it's, um, I was recommended here by one of my doctors. I scheduled an assessment appointment uh, I'm just trying to scan over this. The directors there give me a number. I can call anytime. Every time I call, there's no answer. I call the main line, press option one, it hangs up, press option two, they don't answer. I understood. I got that too. There, are, I've seen a ton of reviews on many websites. All they are, are unprofessional and money hungry all around. And then absolutely horrible. I was told I would get a phone call back after my assessment in 10 minutes. I waited, no call, tried to call back. Nobody answered the phone. Honestly, if this is how unprofessional their staff was over the phone for just getting an assessment, I can't believe or imagine what they would be like in person. Um, I was recommended by a doctor uh, to them and they were very unprofessional. They will hire anyone. They told us we're not allowed to waste food. Uh, some of them came in to work drunk or high. Rules are extreme and it made feel like a prison. We were treated like toddlers. Every problem we reported was overlooked. They don't care anything about money. One of the nurses was so mean and disrespectful. On one occasion, the patient was having an asthma attack. She told her to get up and walk across the room to go get her own pump. Phone time is very short. The beds are uncomfortable. The staff overall is um, unempathetic. You think that they would understand this difficult stage in all of our lives. The only thing they care about is the money you leave. And that's just a couple of them. Yeah. And it's like, uh, if this wasn't the only place that ex supposedly accepted the insurance, it's like. I've had people say the you're advocating so strongly for this family. What if they turn around and say, OK, we're going to take them? Well, I've made it very clear that, you know, we have a very strong following on our podcast and I will publicly let people know to prepare themselves for their child. So if they came back and said they would help this child, I truly believe they would treat her like gold. Because they're going to be held <laughs> yeah. accountable every single step of the way because I'm going to be that fairy godmother with the wand that says we're alive. And, you know, and here we go. Let's hold accountability. You know, let's tape record conversations, which in Georgia is legal as long as one person hits record, which I've recorded their conversations. I was allowed. I hit record. You know, I I'm speaking on behalf of a patient that desperately needs help and they're not getting it and they're getting the runaround. So, it's about accountability. If you don't like your job, change. Some of these people, they're built to, and I, and I feel horrible saying this, not really, but they're literally built to work in a cemetery on the graveyard sit, on the graveyard shift because they don't <laughs> need to be doing interaction with human live people. I mean, if that's going to be your disposition and your little personality, go work in the graveyard shift. Go work mm -hmm. in a cemetery. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people out there that want jobs, that need jobs desperately. And then you got these clowns that, you know, are like, oh, sorry, I have Botox in an hour. I can't talk. Yeah. So now we got to come up with a name for our series. And we're asking, you know, if anybody can give us some suggestions. Um, that's yes. Definitely. Yes. And Let if us you know. have a situation where you want someone to uh, get in the fire for you, then I think you've got the right to right here that will be happy to uh, hold people accountable one way or another and address the concerns that you so rightfully have. Most people don't even understand. I mean, before you're a mom, being a mom is scary enough as it is. But to be a mom or dad, 
and have a child with special needs or any other situation is is challenging enough and you don't even know half the things that you are should be offered you don't know things that you need to get and then they just turn their head to you. We are no longer patients. We are a case number. We are, it's like a windmill. Are you telling me that you literally can see, you know, 50 patients a day as a doctor? And it's just like a revolving door. It's a revolving door. You know, you're just going to come in. And then they, they say on the note that they did an extensive uh, visit with you. And so it costs more money. Mm-hmm. And they were in there, what, like eight minutes and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Hey, see ya, you know, whatever. And when you read the note, it's not even reflective of what happened. Like, oh, the best I hate is- when I'm going through like client records um, because I did social security law for a while and have read through all sorts of client records. And like they have pre-filled in boxes that they're not even managing to change as far as like mood or um, gait or you know, the various things that they're just not even, they're either not checking it at all, or it's the same as the previous visit. Yes. Um, Which means like y'all didn't even bother to actually look at how somebody walks to indicate, oh yeah, she does have a limp today. Right. Like the medical and the ER, they, they, oh, the, the, the social, they, everything's great. Oh, okay. So then, you know, the, their stuff. Right. Although they're clearly depressed and down. Right. Mood was great. Mood yeah. was Very average, normal, you know, whatever. And that they looked at, you know, your eyes, they watched your face, they looked at your skin to make sure it was subtle and that you, you, you know, you didn't have any rash or you didn't have hives or, or whatever. And then they, you know, they checked your stomach and they checked this and they checked that. They checked your cognitive level, your neurological level. They didn't check shit. They didn't check any of that. That wasn't checked. You know, but they still say they did. You know, it's on there they did. And I'm sure they're going to bill the insurance that they did. I mean, what is a Tylenol through insurance? Like eight, $82 or some stupid crap? I mean, it's ridiculous. It is It is so ridiculous. So we are ready to uh, hold people accountable and take some of the stress off the people that need the stress taken off because we understand completely what it's like to go through it. And there are a lot of things that can be done that a lot of people don't know about. And they shouldn't have to know about. You know, you learn about these things because you have no choice. But when you're taking care of your family and not yourself, I already hear Whitney. I have a little Whitney right here. (laughs) Then you learn that these are the things that you need to do. You need to, you know, get some stuff done. I mean, respite care, forget, forget it. You try to sign up for respite care and you might get it in six or eight months and you get like one or two hours with someone you have no idea who they are. And you're just going to let them watch your kid while you go do what? And you're going to be comfortable enough to let them stay with your child while you go? No, I don't think so. (laughs) At least not you. I've tried. I've tried to talk Victoria into respite care. Nope, she ain't having it. Eventually, maybe. Maybe. Never say never. Mm. Never say never. Y'all, tell Victoria she needs to take care of herself. That's all. That's If if I don't see anything else in in comments or DMs, it should be Victoria. You should go take care of yourself. You should yeah. go get your nails done, get your hair. Am I gonna get half off? <laughs> yes, yes. Some absolutely. places do not do it. Some places have tried to charge. That's ridiculous, price. right? If you only have one hand, you should only be paying for one hand. That's I all. Suck I suck at patty cake. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all, we're also like Victoria said, looking for suggestions on what we should name our show. Um, and then if you are somebody that needs some help needs a little bit of advocacy because some messed up stuff is happening. Um, you are turning and in, running into barriers. Um, Victoria and I are seasoned advocates. Victoria in the special ed or not special ed, well, special education, but yeah. also um, special needs uh, and for victims, um, survivors of domestic violence. And then myself as an attorney um, doing family law, estate law, landlord tenant law and social security. Um, and civil rights. So, and if somebody is not being denied what they're owed because of, for whatever reason, if they're saying no, we're not going to let you in because of it's a it's a racial thing. Oh, that just boils my blood. Then come and let us know too, because absolutely. This, and sometimes that's definitely too, her wheelhouse. But I exactly, yeah. And so with that. the discrimination, like a lot of times, people aren't just going to say no because you're black. So like. Come talk to us. If you are experiencing something, you can't quite put your finger on what's going on and you need help identifying what the issue is um, so that maybe you you are interested um, in holding people accountable yeah. uh, and you want to talk about what your options might be. 
Yeah. If we were because all I... Helen Keller, nobody would know. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for this conversation, Victoria. No, thank you. We're we're gonna uh, do this weekly and hold everybody accountable and start making a difference because a difference needs to be made. Yeah. We need to help people because some of these people don't know where to go, and then there's others that don't want to help themselves or help their kids, and we need to be their voice. Yeah. And, and, you know, just spread the information because I think we learned so much from hearing about what other people are going through and how they're resolving these issues. Um, I know I've learned a lot from, from listening to people like Victoria. So, um, and Whitney has the best catchphrase ever be validated, be validated. (laughs) (laughs) So let us know, reach out to us and keep sending us messages let us know you can reach out to either one of us and we will share it with the other one and we will be looking forward to helping people going forward yes absolutely and so you can contact me um all of my information is actually on my website impostrixpodcast.com um and i hang out a lot on instagram yeah she's always on instagram she's on the mm-hmm. insta you're <laughs> like a facebook per facebook and tiktok I hate social media. <laughs> well, I see you on there. I know, but I hate it. But I'm out there <laughs> advocating, so I have to be on there. It doesn't mean I like it. I, I, but I, I hate it, too. I hate yeah, it, too. It, It's stupid. I mean, I think that the people out there are one way, and then behind closed doors, they're, they're different. Something different. Yep. It is. It's a mask. And not a good one. <laughs> All right. Let's, she, she brought us in, so I'll let her take us out. No, absolutely not. You can take us out. Go ahead. See how mean I'm putting myself on mute. Oh, that's just wrong. That's rude. See, that's not right. All right. Well, thank you for joining the both of us. We're still looking for a name. So we're nameless. We're nameless. But we are warriors and we are fighters and we're going to fight for what we believe in. And we are going to make a change. So let us know your thoughts and what we can do to help you. And we will be here soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Oh, you come back for that.